From La Trobe Asia and the Australia India Institute, this is India Rising. I'm Matt Smith. In this podcast mini series, we'll be looking at the country of India, how it works, how it doesn't, and how it got to be the place that it is today. My co host on this journey needs no introduction, but we'll let him give one anyway. I'm Robin Jeffrey. I'm an emeritus professor of La Trobe University. Episode 3 Dynastic Leadership. The Congress Party in India has mostly looked to the Nehru Gandhi family for leadership, making them powerful figures in India's political landscape. Four members of the family have been Prime Minister, but does the current leader, Rahul Gandhi, have what it takes? This is India Rising. Jawaharlal Nehru died in May of 1964, and he was succeeded uh, by a good process that put forward a man called Lal Bahadur Shastri, became the next prime minister. And Shastri had been home minister in the government of India. He'd held various high portfolios. He'd been a congressman. He had a a very good track record. Mm. Had Shastri lived, it might have been a different story. But Shastri was caught by the 1965 Pakistan war. Pakistan attempted under its military government to... uh, stage a revolt in Jammu and Kashmir. India went to war. Shastri told the Indian army it was allowed to cross the international boundary in Punjab and not simply to fight the war in Kashmir. And war went on for three weeks. India was probably winning by the time the international forces got them to call it off. And then the peace negotiations began. And in the course of those peace negotiations, Shastri went to the Soviet Union with the Pakistani representatives to discuss the terms of the peace. They signed the peace and Shastri died of a heart attack that night and had to be brought back to uh, Delhi. He should have been coming back in considerable triumph. He'd shown that he was a tough war leader. He had a great domestic record, Mm. Uh, but he died. And the Congress party was in disarray. It was surprised everyone. Cute conspiracy theories, I'm sure. Well, of course, and yeah. you'll still find those around. You don't have to look very far on the web to find those sorts of theories because yeah. he didn't die in India. He died in a foreign country that had a notable secret service. But Shastri's death meant the leaders of the party had to look for a leader, and they decided, well, the big bosses are supposed to have said, well, let's go for the dumb doll. And the dumb doll was thought to be Nehru's daughter, Indira Gandhi. Well, of course, she wasn't a dumb doll at all. She turned out to be a a tough, ruthless, self-interested politician. Mm. And Indira Gandhi was made the prime minister after Shastri's death with the idea that the bosses would be able to manipulate her and pull the rug out from under her whenever they liked. So Indira Gandhi becomes uh, prime minister and she wins the 67 election, which mm. was the scheduled national general election, very narrowly. Tiny majority, but nevertheless a majority. Eventually, uh, having won office in 67, taken the Congress into government for the fourth time in national general elections, mm. split the party two years later. And her pitch was the party has drifted too far to the right. We need a much more socialist, egalitarian party. So she divided her party and formed her own version of the Indian National Congress. So for about 30 years, you got different kinds of Congresses. You got Congress I, Congress O, with initials after them. And the Congress I eventually became the Congress Indira. Mm-hmm. It was very bold tactically. She won an election, a national general election in uh, February 1971. 
against all the odds and all the old political bosses who had mostly gravitated to the Congress O or to other parties. And having won that election, she was then almost immediately confronted by the secession of uh, East Pakistan, which today we know as Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. Uh, The uh, Pakistan army was sent in to uh, suppress Bangladeshi or East Pakistani nationalism. Refugees began to flow into India, escaping from the depredations of the army. And by December of 71, the Indian army had entered Bangladesh and fought in the West as well, in Punjab and in Kashmir, Mm -hmm. uh, defeated the Pakistan army in what was then, up till then, East Pakistan. Bangladesh was proclaimed as an independent nation, and she had 90,000 Pakistani prisoners to look after and eventually repatriate to Pakistan Mm. after a peace agreement or an agreement was signed early in 72. So by middle of 1972, Indira Gandhi is absolutely at the top of her game. She's a hero. She's been a great war leader. Mm. She's got everything going for her. And within two years, it's all kind of come a cropper. She eventually has to impose an emergency in 1975, the only time India has been governed by authoritarian government. She uses the constitution to declare a national emergency. The emergency was that she'd been found to have engaged in illegal electoral practices and wasn't eligible to sit in parliament. Rather than uh, accept the decision of the the courts, she declared a national emergency and ruled the country for 17 months as a dictator. And by that stage was calling on family members, particularly her younger son, Sanjay, as her kind of right-hand man. And Sanjay was a particularly unattractive young man. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reputation he and the Congress and Indira Gandhi and the emergency acquired in those 17 months was enough to mean that when there were elections, when she finally felt forced to hold elections in the spring of 1977, the Congress was turned out and she was turned out. So she's in the wilderness for two years. And by this stage, Indian politics, I think for her, have become terribly personalized. It's all about the slogan during the emergency was, Indira is India and India is Indira. Yeah, yes. Uh, really crude and awful stuff. So she loses office, but the the new government is a coalition of everybody. The, it's the old Hindu right, the Jansang, which later became the BJP. They're in there with old socialists and with local political parties. And the government only lasts about two years. So mm. it falls under its own weight. And Indira Gandhi comes back to power in 1980. Sanjay, in the course of her next government, is killed in an air crash. He's he's a would like to be a pilot, and he doesn't seem to be a particularly good one. And the plane he flies crashes into the ground, and he's killed. So she then turns to her other son, Rajiv, who is a pilot, works for Indian Airlines, and Rajiv is called into the party to help mummy, I think he's quoted as saying (laughs) at one point, as if it were, you know, there were a party going to be held tomorrow and you had to help make the cake. Yeah, not a good thing to be quoted saying. (laughs) Yeah. At that point, again, internal questions, uh, internal problems arrive. A secessionist movement in Punjab calling for a Khalistan, uh, a Sikh-dominated independent country, just as there's a Pakistan for Muslims, Mm. there should be a Sikhistan, Khalistan for Sikhs. An insurgency, the leader of the uh, Khalistanis holds up in the holiest shrine of Sikhism. She sends in the army, 
terrible bloodshed mm-hmm. in a holy place, very, very bad vibrations all around, and terrible killing, death at the same time. And she's murdered uh, by her own sick bodyguards four months later. The, the so-called Golden Temple is in uh, June of 84, and she's murdered on the 31st of October, mm. 1984. And uh, the party again is uh, left with, where do we find a leader? And they turn at once to her surviving son, Rajiv, and poor Rajiv becomes prime minister. I think it's poor Rajiv at that stage. I don't think he wanted the job later. I think he desperately wanted the job. Mm-hmm. And he led them to a victory, a huge victory, in the elections called immediately after her death and his becoming prime minister. Was Indira essentially martyred then? That's the way she was portrayed yeah. at that election. Yeah. The, it was the biggest uh, election victory any party's ever had in India. Yeah, okay. And again, within five years, it was all gone. And mm. That government was defeated by, again, a coalition in 1989. There's a period of instability. But during that time, the Congress can look to no one but Rajiv, mm. her son. So we've had a very long-winded way of talking about, is there a dynasty? Well, yes, by that stage, the party has become so dependent on the power and the funds that flow from the Gandhi family as a result of having been at the center of government yes. for the last nearly 50 years. I see what you mean, yeah. yeah. Um, that there's not much else to go to. And then Rajiv himself, of course, is assassinated in uh, May of 1991 during another election campaign, mm. this time by... Sri Lankan Tamil secessionists who were cross with him for having used the Indian army to try to uh, mitigate some of the struggle in Sri Lanka, not to their advantage. Mm. So the party then has uh, been in the hands of uh, Rajiv Gandhi's widow uh, for the last 25 years. That is uh, Sonia Gandhi, who was Italian-born, of course, whom he met in England as young students. And the current leader is her son, Rahul Gandhi, who, like his father, gives the impression of really rather being somewhere else, doing something else, and hasn't proved a particularly able or committed politician. The daughter's involved in activism of some sort as well, isn't it? Many of the Congress faithful who have hung on and recognized that there's really no alternative at the moment to somebody except somebody from the Gandhi family have put their hope on the daughter Priyanka Mm. that is Rahul's sister but she's had a young family up to now though that young family is getting older and I think the hope of people who feel the Congress needs a dynamic new look Mm. would pin their hopes on Priyanka finally saying okay the kids are old enough I'm ready to go. Send me in. It's interesting, though, that they they are still desperately hanging on to the dynastic element of it because this, if anything, might be the time for the clean break and that might be what the Congress Party needs. There's nothing much to break from anymore because the party has no real set of ideas and the money seems to have be drying up. They they did a crowdfunding campaign recently, didn't they? Yeah, I I gathered that. And uh, when you're in government... You have sources of funds. People want to donate people, to your people foundations. People want you to be friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that's dried up. Mm. Just the extent of the money that the Gandhi family controlled, I don't think we'll ever know. It looks as if there were 
checkbooks and checks that mm. could be signed and things could be got done using money that the family had influence mm. over. But that appears to be have dried up and there's no reason why in the last five years it should have been flowing because the family is unable to deliver very much of anything. Yeah. So. Is the Gandhi name a voting hook then? I get the impression that that's how American politics kind of works. So you've got the name Kennedy that keeps coming back. You had Clinton try and come mm. back. Uh, you had Bush. We've had two Bush presidents over there. And yeah. uh, touch wood, Donald Trump, Ivanka Trump, 2024, 2024. We're going to aim for that. Is the Gandhi name a draw card for the electorate still? It was once. It was once. Uh, certainly, I, I don't think Rahul... Gandhi is a draw now. Mm. That's why I think those who are attached to the family and also I think view Indian politics as something where you do need, well, it's not just Indian politics. As you've just said, American politics, somewhere where you do need a recognizable name. A brand. A brand. Justin Trudeau, for that matter, though, I think Justin probably is there mostly on his own merits now. I don't think it's necessarily a totally bad or corrupt thing that the children of big-time politicians become big-time politicians themselves. But in the case of India... I was about um, to say, in the case of India, though, that could be very different. Yeah, and one of the reasons that families, successful families, politically successful families, tend to pass on power is that the pool of appropriate people until the last 20 years has been fairly small to even understand how this democratic system work, this election system. You needed a certain level of education and exposure to a wider world and you needed to uh, perhaps have come through some sort of institutional form. Mm. Uh, in uh, Industrialized countries, urbanized countries, often people will move out of some kind of business into politics or um, uh, some sort of government service into politics. In India, there weren't that many alternatives to being a political family where you would gain influence, power, and an understanding of how governments and great institutions worked until the last 25 or 30 years as economic activity has become more widespread and diverse. Mm. So the pool of people, I think, uh, who have the capacity and the understanding of politics is probably greater now than it has been in the past. In immediate terms, I think the hope of the dynastic followers of the Congress Party will probably lie in Priyanka Gandhi, who now uses uh, her married name, I think, Priyanka Vadela, mm. People say she looks a bit like her grandmother. She has a good, strong Kashmiri nose. But I'm not sure that Indira Gandhi is a particularly affectionate memory. It would only be a story about a new woman who was going to talk about uh, the needs of a 21st century India, but has this wonderful background, yeah. a great national background. And that's a, that's a good story. Yeah, that's that would be a, a fairly plausible mm. story to tell. Rahul Gandhi... Priyanka's brother has tried to tell this story but without much passion or enthusiasm or stamina I think. You've been listening to India Rising, a podcast from La Trobe Asia and the Australia India Institute. It featured Robin Jeffrey and I'm Matt Smith, your host and producer. This has been a podcast from La Trobe University. Thanks for listening.